So we're going to read this morning chapter 13 of the book of Revelation. And we've been in this book now for some months. I realize that it's very uh, strange. It can be very disorienting to get into the book of Revelation. I'm trying to make as much sense of it with you uh, as I can. We have uh, up here in the front, I've got some little handouts for you, which is uh, a strategy, what I call a strategy for reading the book. Now you can... uh, You can read it any number of ways. You can read the book of Revelation chronologically and try to study it uh, chronologically. I think it has some problems when you do that. You can study it historically, uh, saying, well, each age of Revelation is some age of the church, but that has been debunked and almost no scholars ascribe to that. Or you can follow the right way, which is the one I'm giving you. Uh, I'm kidding. Uh, But I I do think that this way uh, makes some sense, and we'll uh, continue with that. We're also doing a QA and a at the end. So at the end, grab your coffee, come back in for a few minutes of Q&A, and that way if you have some questions uh, about the book of Revelation or anything else, I'll be happy to try to answer them as best I can. Now, as we've been doing, I'm going to ask you to listen, not read along. Although it's printed in your bulletin and it's also in your Bible, uh, just listen. This is how the church would have experienced the book of Revelation. They would have heard it, and they would have imagined the scenes that they're seeing. So do that, and then once we get into the actual sermon, uh, I'll be referring to the verses, and you can pull out your Bible and look at it. But right now, just listen to the Word of God. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten heads, ten horns, and seven heads, and ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth, and to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written in the book before the foundation of the world, the book of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he must go. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword, must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast 
rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to the earth in front of people. And by the signs that it was allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them, to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also it causes all, both rich, both small, and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be marked on the right hand and on the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six. Six, six. This is the word of the Lord. Good night. Okay, so here we go. Let's see if we can get into this and what you make of it. Now listen, the book of Revelation is highly symbolic. And if you read it literally, then you're going to run into all kinds of problems because right away, just just on the face of this, you know that these are symbols. They are symbols of something else. In fact, John said in chapter 12 that they were signs that appeared in the heaven, the dragon and the woman with the child in chapter 12. They are signs. They're symbols that are pointing to something else. And it's up to us to recognize what those other things are. And I'll tell you, if you try to take those things that you're seeing here and bring them down and apply them to earthly things and earthly empires, uh, you will run into a certain degree of problems. And so I'm going to give you the, the, I think, the very best way to understand the book of Revelation and particularly... Uh, this part of the book of Revelation, which can be so bizarre because you're seeing all of these monsters and beasts and creatures. and and So just listen and we'll cover whatever we can today and then in the, in the Q&A, of course. What do you see? This is the way we're looking at the book of Revelation. I'm asking you three questions every week. I believe this is what Jesus wanted John to communicate to his audience and what other scholars have said is a good framework. First of all, what do you see? What are you looking at? Secondly, ask yourself the question, why are we seeing it? Or more importantly, why did the original audience see it? Why was the Asian church... Remember, Revelation was addressed to these seven churches in Asia. And then... The final question, who do you see? So, what do you see? Why do you see it? And who do you see? What do we see? First of all, you see a beast coming out of the sea. Now, 
you remember chapter 12 ends with the dragon, Satan, battling God, Michael the angel, on behalf of his captain, Jesus, casts Satan and his demons down to the earth, not at the beginning of creation, but at the cross. That's when they come down. That's when they're exposed to the earth. And he knows his time is short. He knows he has only 42 months. He only has 1,260 days. He only has three and a half years. He only has three and a half weeks. He has a very short time. And the saints are to know that no matter how bad it gets on the earth, it's a very brief time. It's a twinkling of an eye. It's going to go by quickly. Hold on. Don't be afraid. Don't give in. The sea is a metaphor for chaos, for what the book of Revelation calls the formless and the void, the raging of the waters that the Spirit came in Genesis and stilled and quieted, the toho vabahu, the, the formless and void. And the sea was the haunt of demons. It was the place where the gods dwell, where there was mystery and darkness. It was... Uh, uh, always moving and turgid and couldn't be contained and couldn't be controlled. And so he says the, the, the uh, dragon comes and stands on the seashore like, and, and the, the, the sands of the sea are a metaphor for, for multitudes of people, humanity. He's talking about symbolically that Satan has come down and is now standing and making his realm, making his place on the earth, and in its chaotic nature, in its fallen nature. Then he says there are ten horns, seven heads, and ten crowns on the horns. Now this is very similar to the dragon who had seven heads and seven horns, or ten horns and seven crowns, but it's not exactly the same because this beast is a reflection of the dragon, not the dragon himself. Just an image. He is a counterfeit. And keep that in mind, that the book of Revelation is exposing the counterfeit nature of the world that you and I live in over against the kingdom of God, which we talked about in our class this morning, and those of you that were in there might see where we're going. There's this kingdom of God, and Satan is trying to create a counterfeit kingdom to oppose the kingdom of God. And then he mentions, uh, look at these uh, images that he recalls here, a leopard, a bear, and a lion. Those of you that are familiar with the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel was given this amazing uh, a vision of the empires that would control the world. And there was first uh, the, the, uh, the lion, Babylon, with a fierce mouth, and Babylon would be the first. And then it would be overtaken by the bear, by Medo-Persia. And then finally, Alexander and the Greek empire, the leopard, would come along and take over the Medo-Persian empire. And a fourth empire is mentioned in Daniel that would be worse and more fierce than any of the others. And what most scholars believe is that this is alluding to, is pointing us to Rome. 
Rome is the fourth beast. Rome combines all of the ferocity and the horror and the violence and the terror of all of those prior kingdoms. And Rome was, we know from history, one of the most violent and fierce and successful empires that has ever been around. It was merciless, brutal. It was what we believe should be called a demonized state. And that demonized state was the one that John was looking at. That was what the original audience would have understood. But John was not limited. And we have people in the preterist school of interpretation. Some of you may know what I'm talking about. If you want to ask questions about preterism, we can do that in the Q&A. John is not limiting it to the Roman Empire, and he's not saying everything came to a conclusion in 70 AD. He's setting up for us symbols, signs, things that we will see and recognize and know when they appear. And we're not to be deceived. Of all the people on the earth, we, the church, are to know and recognize when these people are lying to us. And one of the heads of this dragon has a mortal wound. And John says the wound seems to be healed. It appears healed. It's a counterfeit what? Resurrection. So you have these counterfeits going on and you're supposed to see them. You're supposed to see the contrast. A counterfeit resurrection. And this probably has to do with the Nero legend. Now let me give you a little history. Some of you may know this, maybe you don't. Very, very interesting. We are taking the approach that John was writing this book in the mid-90s of the first century. Nero, the infamous Caesar of Rome who began the persecutions against the church, fled from Rome because he was crazy for one thing and he took his violin, his fiddle. That should have been funny if you were awake. He took his fiddle and he fiddled his way out of Rome. And he, in 68, he leaves Rome. He commits suicide at the age of 30 years old. But he had a lot of power and there were people who wanted him to come back. So they spread a rumor that he had gone to Parthia and was raising an army and that Nero would indeed come back. Well, after Nero left, the Roman Empire collapsed into civil war. And immediately, in the next few months, they had another emperor, Galba, then Otho, then Vitellius, and each one only lasted a few months. The Empire, the Roman Empire, looked like it was collapsing. Now Vespasian, General Vespasian, a very powerful military general, guess where he was? And guess what he was doing? I'll tell you. He was in Jerusalem and had been laying siege to Jerusalem to burn the city down for two years to put down the zealot rebellion. And he hears that Rome has collapsed. So he jumps in his Toyota Prius and he takes off. It was a chariot. He goes back to Rome to bring the empire back into order and he leaves his son Titus in command of the army 
and Titus destroys Jerusalem, tears it down, goes in and defiles the temple, tears it down, and, and slaughters everybody he can find in what has become one of the most horrific events in world history. Vespasian rules for 10 years in Rome and he resurrects the Roman Empire. And his son Titus rules for another 10 years and his younger son ruled for another 10 years and would have been the ruler at the time of John's writing. And he was none other than Domitian, the one who really ramped up empire-wide persecution of the Christian church. Nero's, Nero's persecution, you hear about it, but it's, it was just in Rome and it was only a few people. But Domitian, he took it to a whole nother level. And this is what John is wanting you to see, and me, and the early church. Do you see this the way these empires are? Do you see how they collapse? Do you see how they appear to be... De- they appears, looks like we defeated them. Looks like the kingdom of God is coming. Looks like everything's okay. But they keep coming back like the ever-ready bunny. They keep going and going and going. And they rise again and they rise again. The beast is evil. In fact, Nero was called the beast. And any time evil is temporarily defeated, you all know this from history, any of you that are history buffs, every time an evil empire is defeated, what happens within a very short time? Another one comes up somewhere. And there are multiple manifestations. We had emperor worship during John's day. There was monarchy throughout our history. Monarchs would be defeated and then another monarch would come and they had the divine right of kings. They could do pretty much what they wanted, a monarch. Then we had Christendom. And don't any of you think, after being in this church all this time, I have told you repeatedly, Christendom was not a good thing for the church. Christendom about destroyed the church. Once the church got political and military power, after Constantine and Christendom was ushered in, the church went into a it became a beast itself. And then we had fascism and the Nazis, and then we had communism, and today we have modern statism. Statism is often found in democratic republics. It is a concentration, and those of you that are Political buffs, you know what I'm talking about. It's the concentration of economic, political, and military control in the hands of the state at the cost of individual liberty. Anybody recognize that? Yeah. So what we need in the United States is to get back and follow the Constitution. Right? Yeah, and your dreams. The Constitution is a great document, but it's just one in another line of documents that all codify the power of the state. And John is warning the early church of the dangers of the imperial worship of the, of the Caesars, which was ramping up and getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And he's warning everybody else From the kings in Europe, to the fascists, to the communists, even to the democratic republics, 
beware of the beast. Because every political, economic, military, social structure will in some way manifest that beastly nature. And it will either do it one of two ways. I've told you this repeatedly and I'm going to tell you again. It will either do it by overt power, like we're seeing in China, like we're seeing in uh, Nigeria, and like we're seeing it in North Korea and other places. We, you, you, either, you either stop worshiping God or we will kill you. Or in Saudi, those of you that have either served over in the Middle East or have perhaps worked in the Middle East, they, they marginalize Christians. They put you in little compounds and little camps, and you've got to make them nice, and they, they want us to make them nice. But you can't mix with the population because you're unclean if you're a Christian. The United States is a haven. It is the most blessed nation that's ever existed. We live in a land that is flowing, as Dave prayed in his prayer, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And that's the other side. The seductive side. And we'll see that with the false prophet, the beast, the second beast in a moment. So you've got this one beast that is just ferocious military power. Brute will beat you down. You will worship or die or be marginalized. But then you have this beast from the land. So the demonized state has raw brute force, overwhelming political, social, cultural power. And it commands utter devotion. This beast, notice the first beast from the sea, is not satisfied just that you obey. It wants you to bow down and worship it. Wants you to give your heart and mind to wants you to go home at night and wring your hands and say, Oh, if the beast doesn't protect us, what's going to happen to us? Oh my goodness, we're going to lose. We have to, we have to worship the beast. And like the robot in Lost in Space, remember? Warning, warning, Will Robinson. And that's what the church is to be doing. We're to be warning people. Look, they, you know, everybody's got good intentions out there. I mean, right? Don't they all have good intentions? See, we don't get any rousing amens with that, do we? Because we know better. We know that power tends to corrupt and absolute power does what? It corrupts absolutely. And so we're right to be suspicious of government in whatever form it takes. Don't ever believe they're on our side. They... The left will use whoever they need to use, and the right, the red and blue states, they'll use whoever they have to use, and they'll use the church. Just like that. And they'll seduce us into thinking they're on our side when they're really on their own side. Let me tell you, let me just jump, jump ahead, way far ahead. Only one person has your interests in mind at his own expense. What is his name? Jesus Christ. Only He has your interest. Utterly, selflessly, at His own expense. Human nature takes us this way and we've got to beware. That's why John's warning the church. He's telling them, be careful. Hey, these powerful institutions will crush you. They'll also seduce you. You see, the wound is healed 
And he appears again in different manifestations throughout history. And that's what's going on today and will go on probably for thousands of years, if not millions. I don't know. I I really don't know how long. How does he do it? By the mouth that was given him, verse 5, look at verse 5. And what he's introducing in verse 5, he's alluding to verses 11 through the end of the chapter. He's alluding to this beast from the land. This land beast he calls in two other places, well, three other places actually. In 16, 19, and 20, he actually calls this beast the false prophet. So before I talk a little bit about the false prophet, let me just throw this out here and then... You can stay, if you want to know, you can stay in the Q&A. Is the first beast the Antichrist? Don't answer, because I probably, you will probably be wrong. Who is the Antichrist? Oh, right? Hollywood has done a good job of getting all everybody all excited about the Antichrist. And if you stay for the Q&A, I'll be happy to, to fill you in. The beast on land. Look at verses 11 through 15. He's describing the mouth, the false prophet, that is going to speak on behalf of this beast, these demonized state powers that are going to exist throughout the church age in different manifestations. They're going to look like a leopard, like a bear, like a lion. They're going to be, they're going to, all the time they're going to be deceptive. And they're going to be appearing Sometimes you won't even know it, but they're going to be there. And they're going to have a mouth. They're going to be speaking. They're going to have two horns. Look, two horns like a lamb. This is very important, folks. Like a lamb, but they really spoke like a dragon. They're going to, outside, they're going to look a certain way, but coming out of their mouth are going to come things that are completely incongruent with the lamb that you and I know, another counterfeit, another counterfeit even to the Holy Spirit. Because this prophet is going to be pointing people to the beast and to the dragon like the Holy Spirit points His people to Christ and to God our Father. And so some scholars say that in this dragon, beast, and false prophet, you have an unholy trio, an unholy trinity, another counterfeit that John was being very specific. Maybe so. Two horns like a lamb, he spoke like a dragon, he's deceptive, he's compelling worship. You know, when we invite you to church, do you all hear at the beginning of our worship, I don't know, this is a very common in almost every liturgy, Catholic, Protestant, and Eastern Orthodox, there is generally a call of some kind to worship. And we begin our worship service every week with this call to worship we are asking you, calling you to come worship. We don't compel anybody. I wish we had the power to compel you. I wish we could force you. In fact, maybe we should. Okay, I want to see all your checkbooks in a minute. We're going to gather them all up. No. We don't compel you. We invite you. We call you. God invites. He called to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. It's an invitation. But this beast compels worship. And he performs signs and makes makes the image speak. 
Uh, now, you can go literal. If you want to go literal, fine, but it's going to create all kinds of problems for you. But if you want to, that's fine. I'm saying what, he, what I'm going to encourage you to stay with the symbolism that is here. And what he's saying is this beast is going to do things that are going to amaze you. They're going to take care of you. They're going to provide you security. This beast, if you worship, this is the false prophet speaking. If you worship, you will have a good life. If you follow this false prophet or this uh, beast, everything will be okay. Trust him. Look at it. Look at the power he has. He can perform miracles and he can even speak. Very, very deceptive. And most scholars say where the first beast is demonized state power, this second one is demonized religious power. It's the, it's the spiritual side. You know, today, people don't want to affiliate with churches, but they do want to say what? They want to say, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I don't want to go in for church. I'm not in for church. I'm not in for organized religion, but I do want to be spiritual. And that's all great. We want them to be spiritual, but it's still going to leave them empty. And in order to control people and ensure security and control, there's a mark that is put on the right hand or the forehead. It's another counterfeit of the sealing. It's what I was talking about when we were baptizing Heidi a few minutes ago. We, are see- we sealed Heidi. A seal, it was that stamp that they put uh, into soft wax. And that seal promised. That seal was a promise. And so what God does when He seals somebody, He promised them, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will secure you. I will be your God. You will be my people. Follow me. Follow me voluntarily. I'm not going to compel you. But you're mine. I'm marking you. I'm sealing you. And he uses a specific word in Greek. I won't give you the word in Greek. But he, then he, for this mark, he uses another word. And it's more like a brand of ownership. It's more like saying, you're going to be my... It's like a, the mark they put on a slave. You're going to serve me. And if you don't have this mark... Now look, folks, to say it's a computer chip uh, under the skin... Have any of you heard that? Anybody heard that? Okay, if to say it's a computer chip or it's a tattoo or it's something like that is to miss the point entirely. And if you want to believe that stuff, those conspiracy things, knock yourself out. But what happens when the, it's no longer a computer chip, it's something else? Something, you see, techno- why do we have the arrogance to say, well, technology is at a point now where we can have a computer chip, so that must be the, six, six, that must be the mark of the beast. Do you think they couldn't mark people before? You ever heard of a brand or a tattoo? They marked slaves. They, they put an all. They put a hole in their ear. They did all kinds of things. They can mark people then. They can mark people now. They can mark people in a million years. That's not what he's talking about. A mark, it's like this little child, this beautiful baby, Heidi. We, her parents are going to raise her up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And someday... She's going to give her heart, mind, and soul to Jesus. I hope she does it every day of her life. That's what we pray. And that's what we pray for our children. That's what we're being asked to do for God. And that is our seal. That is the promise. Follow me and I will be with you, Jesus said. Okay? So he's just saying, you don't need to be forced. But this beast, this false prophet, in order to eat and drink and 
trade or do anything, you better give your ultimate allegiance to him or you will be marginalized at best or killed at worst. The mark on the right hand or the forehead, they're different words and they mean different things. A seal is by grace. Listen to me carefully. A seal is by grace. It is a guarantee of security under the protective authority of God. Chapter 14, verse 1. We didn't read that yet. It's the name of Christ and God written on your forehead, in your mind and on your hand, in your word and deed, in the way you think and the way you act. These are symbols. The mark of the beast is by threat, by coercion, by intimidation. It's a guarantee of deception. It's a guarantee of wrath. It's a guarantee of judgment. If you give your allegiance to the beast, if you engage in idolatry and worship this beast, or any beast, if you put your hope in salvation in anything other than Jesus Christ, what is your destiny? It's the lake of fire. And John is warning, do not take this mark. Don't give your allegiance to this beast. To to say it's an actual mark or something like that is to miss the point. And then the number of the beast, let's do this quickly because I don't want to run over time, but this is fascinating. There's this number. Calculate the number, he said. And he uses the word arithmos. You You know what arithmetic is? Numbers, arithmos. Count the number of the beast. And John says in verse 18, look at it. He says, this calls for wisdom to understand and calculate the identity of the beast. Now there's two ways you can go here and I'm going to do this quickly. So listen, stay with me. I know some of you are falling asleep. Please wake up now. Now it's time to wake up. Pay attention. There's two ways to go. One is the literal way and say 666 We can calculate it. We can figure out the name of the beast. That's the literal. The symbolic is something else. The literal is using a formula that's been used for a long time. It's called the gematria. Have any of you heard of the gematria? Okay. That is taking uh, a letter and assigning it a numerical value. And guess what happens with Kaiser Nero? If you calculate his number by transliterating his name into Hebrew, guess what the value is? Anybody? Say 666. Go ahead, everybody together. 666. Yeah. (laughs) I'm doing that to kind of wake you up. Yes, his number does come out to uh, 666. If you transliterate it into Hebrew and you drop a couple letters and you add a couple letters and you do all that... So does Henry Kissinger, so does Donald Trump, so does Ronald Reagan, so does Richard Nixon, so does Bill Clinton, so does Hillary Clinton, uh, so does Chuck Isaac, so does everybody. The gematria can be manipulated a million different ways in Latin, in Greek, in Hebrew, in Aramaic, dropping letters, adding letters, putting in accents, taking on accents. You can make it anything you want. But symbolically... If, as it's used throughout, as numbers are used throughout the book, listen to this. This should thrill you because it'll calm you down. You won't be looking for some antichrist to pop up behind a bush and go, boo, it's me. The horn, you know, 
Satan would lo- look, Satan loves it when we go this way. He loves it. Go see Nicolas Cage. Go watch the movies. Wring your hands. Look at every earthquake. Look at every storm. Look at the polar. What is that thing that's going on right now? The polar vortex. It's breaking into three parts. It's the end of the world. Henny penny. The sky is falling. Because if they can scare you, they can what? They can control you. And Jesus said what? Do not fear. He didn't say do not doubt. Listen, I have my doubts about a lot of things. Mostly having to do with myself. But do not fear. When the beast speaks, liar, liar, pants on fire. The symbolic understanding of 666 is that it's a contrast. That what John is doing is saying six is an imperfect number. Six is the number for a human being. It is six times six times six. It is real imperfection and incompletion. Whereas seven is a perfect number. It's the number for God. It's seven, seven, seven. Holy, holy, holy. Do you see? And he's contrasting these numbers 666 is imperfection, incompleteness. It is fallen human nature. It is the sea. It is the tohu v'bohu, the chaos. It is the sands of the sea where the multitude of fallen humanity are over against the perfection of man. Listen, hard for me to even say it, but I'm going to say it. The perfection of man and God Not mixed, but 100% of both. The incomparable, the unimaginable, the most beautiful, Jesus, the King. This calls for wisdom. Here's a good translation. Dr. Greg Beale gives this. Uh, This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for... It is the number of humanity as humans have. It's the number of fallen humanity. That is what God is saying. Do not take that mark. You have been born again. So very quickly, let me run to the end. Why are you saying it? Well, he tells us in 5 through 8, the beast is given a mouth. He's uttering a haughty, blasphemous world. He's exercising authority. He's telling you that you must embrace, and I told you this last week, I'm going to remind you again, and quickly we'll go to the end. You must, if you're a Christian, you must embrace the already, not yet, the reality that we are already living in Christ's kingdom, but it has not yet been consummated, and if you don't, a lot of Christianity simply will not make sense. But if you embrace the already, not yet, then Christianity starts to make sense and you can endure suffering. Secondly, he's saying, beware. There's two great dangers, folks. One is intimidation, power. Are you with me? The other one is intoxication. And we're going to see that with the prostitute that is riding on the back of the dragon because she's drunk with the wine, which is the blood of the saints. She's drunk. She's a drunk prostitute riding on the back of the... I mean, John is just pulling out all the stops. 
There's intimidation and then there's intoxication, being seduced by this beast. We will have to participate. Listen, folks, we will have to participate in society and in culture and in politics and in the military. We have people that serve in our military, economic institutions, all of that. But we're never, 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 hear me, never to take its mark, never to give our ultimate allegiance to it, always to remain a little suspicious. And finally, will you trust Will you trust the sovereign God? That's in verses 9 through 11. He said, look, if, it's been, if, it's been, if it has been determined that you must die for this religion, if you must die for me, John is telling everybody, you're going to have to die. Martyrdom is a real fact of Christian life. Now, I realize that in America, that is about as unpopular a thing as you can imagine. And we all like to wonder, what would I do if I were put in a place where it was either my life, the life of my family, the life of my children, my grandchildren, or my profession of faith? And John is saying, under no circumstances are you ever to deny your king. Ever. This calls for wisdom. Do you see it? Calls for wisdom. How do you do it? How in the world could Jesus make a claim on you and I like that? Put that same claim on that precious baby back there. And we sealed her today for this, for this eternal kingdom, but also to make that kind of a commitment that to the death we stand with Jesus Christ. Wow. Listen, here it is. Chapter 14, and I'll end with this. Just listen. Then, after the 666, Then I looked, and behold, on the Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with Him 144,000 who had His name and His Father's name written on their forehead. Did you see when we baptized this precious baby that we pour the water where? On her head on her forehead, down. That is how God anoints you from the top to the bottom. He's saying, all of you. I know some churches immerse, and that's fine, we love immersion, but it's not how the Old Testament did it. They didn't immerse people. Only the Levitical priests ever immersed themselves. But when people were anointed, when, when Moses was standing there with the hyssop, and he dipped it in a bowl of blood, and he went like this, and like this, and like this, if one drop hit that person, they were baptizo. They were baptized. They were immersed. Not immersed, but merged, merged with God. Sealed to God. God's saying, you're mine. And He said that to Heidi and to her parents this morning. We see the Lamb that gave His life for the world. He goes on, I don't have time to go into it. He goes on and talks about the Lamb twice that redeemed us, that bought us with His own blood. That's how we become the 144,000 that are pure, that are chaste, that are blameless before God. Do you see it? It's magnificent. A magnificent vision. Will you trust Him? Will you trust this King and deny the beast? I pray you will. Father, um, 
Please help us. Help us to embrace the truth of these things and uh, not to live in fear. I, I know I, I struggle with it myself, Lord, and I know that every one of us struggle. We see the chaotic governments around the world, including our own. They just can't seem to figure out what to do right. And yet... You have called us to be citizens in these various countries around the world from North Korea to the United States. And somehow, some way, we can do that and be great citizens and good people that bring the kingdom of God and be salt and light to our neighbors. Please help us, we pray, to do that in whatever place we have been placed, whether it's a land of milk and honey or in the the dungeons and the torture dens of North Korea. We pray for our brothers and sisters who suffer persecution we cannot even begin to imagine. Help us, save us, and have mercy on us, we pray. Amen.